Alhamdulillah, everyone. Welcome to day number 12 of Ramadan 360. I can't believe I'm even saying that. It is such a pleasure to have you all back with us as we spend the month of Ramadan together, uh, exploring 30 stories uh, of the unnamed in the Quran. Today we have with us uh, a beloved Sheikh we don't get to see enough of, so we enjoy every single moment that we can get with him. Sheikh Naveed Aziz is going to be speaking on the three companions, inshallah, followed by our Quranic reflection sessions uh, with Sheikh Saad's esteem. Um, I'm very excited to have Sheikh Naveed back, especially because I feel like we can only catch you in these live webinar thingies and there's just never enough time. Last time we were like limited to seven minutes, but alhamdulillah, <laughs> we have you with us. How are you doing, Sheikh Naveed Aziz? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing very well, Hafsa. How are you? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. It's been way too long. What has been happening in the world in the videos? We need to catch us um, up. Not minutes. much. I Literally, I think the, main, the biggest thing that happened, I moved houses. That's pretty much okay. about it. Alhamdulillah, everyone's healthy, everyone's well. And alhamdulillah, life's going on. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. I know I'm very jealous, mashallah, of the Calgary community. I know you guys have such an active uh, masjid and community uh, happening locally. Is everything back to normal when it comes to like post? I mean, Calgary pretends like they're <laughs> COVID never happened. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're the Texas of Canada. We are the Texas of Canada. So it's been uh, in and out of restrictions, but alhamdulillah, things are open now. And I, I would say they're getting back to normal. Like I work out of the downtown masjid. Downtown is still pretty empty, uh, as in people aren't fully back to work yet. So masjid isn't at full capacity. But northeast, where our other location is, is booming. Like it's thriving, mashallah. So they're uh, up at, at full-fledged, mashallah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. I feel like we were making the offer this for so long. It's so nice that the Muslim, the Ummah is back together. People are back in person. But at the same time, alhamdulillah, we're able to continue the da'wah and the stuff that we have been continuing online. And mashallah, have every corner of the world represented. Um, I know Lama, Sister Lama has been holding the fort down for Alberta in the chat <laughs> for like the past three years, mashallah. Um, lovely to have you back with us. So Sheikh, I'm super excited for your topic, the three companions. Um, I know we're going to have a bit of a surprise in today's session. So we're going to have uh, you speak for about 30 minutes or so. And then we have someone surprising us popping in for Allah about Allah. five minutes. Uh, you know, I know, nobody else knows. We'll just keep it a separate. We'll keep it like Inshallah. that. Inshallah. And then we'll close off with a Q&A at the end. I've been missing your talk, subhanAllah. So I am ready. I'm not going to take any more time from you, Sheikh. Take it away. Bismillah. Let's jump right in. Jazakallah khair. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu wa sallam, wa barak ala nabiyyana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd, my dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to today's session. Today's session is going to be based upon the verses in Surah At-Tawbah from 118 to 120. In these verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about three individual uh, three individuals whose fate was delayed a little bit. Now, what does that actually mean and what is the context of this? So the context of this story revolves around the expedition of a Tabuk. And a Tabuk, what you need to understand, is 650 kilometers away from Medina. And the Prophet ﷺ decided to go for Ghazwat al-Tabuk in the month of July. So it's peak heat. You can imagine it's like 40 to 50 degrees. And the companions have two things going on at this time. Number one, they're struggling with the heat as everyone is. And then number two, Harvest season is in August. So they start harvesting their crops and their dates in the month of August. And a lot of the Ansar were date farmers. So now the Prophet ﷺ has said, let us go for the expedition of a Tabuk. And we need everyone uh, to come for this expedition. Like no one can remain behind. So just to give you some circumstance, you know, we've heard these famous stories of Abu Bakr and Umar anhum competing to give their wealth. This was the expedition where they were competing to give their wealth. 
We heard the story about Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu donating 100 camels worth of, uh, of merchandise and gold to the Prophet This is the expedition that it happened for. So this expedition was also known as the expedition of hardship because the ummah has been depleted of its wealth. They're low on resources and it's hot. And now this temptation of the harvest is coming forth. Now you may think, what is the big deal with this temptation of the harvest? Well, people didn't have salaried jobs at that time. People didn't have hourly wages. They basically had anything that you could sell is where you would get your income from. So if you missed your opportunity to harvest your dates, you were missing your opportunity for your income for that year. You can imagine how big of a deal that is. So now the Prophet ﷺ has set a date for leaving. There's a meeting point and everyone is ready to go. And there is this young man by the name of Ka'b ibn Malik. And he looks at his dates and he's just so tempted by them that you know what, I have to stay behind to take care of these dates. And he keeps fighting internally, take care of my dates or go with the Prophet ﷺ. Go take care of my dates, go with the Prophet ﷺ. And to understand his circumstance even better, he's healthy and he has two riding beasts. So at that time, you can imagine that as you're going on this expedition, you need a riding beast to go with you. He had two of them for the first time in his life, this ever happened, this ever happened to him. So he has every reason to go with the Prophet ﷺ. But something encroached in him. He kept on saying, tomorrow I will go and I will catch up with them. Tomorrow I will go and I will catch up with them. And this is how it continued day after day, day after day, till they were way too far ahead. And he knew that there was no way to catch up with them. And at that time, amazingly, the Prophet ﷺ asked some of the companions, have any of you seen Ka'b ibn Malik? And then one from Banu Salama said that, you know, Ka'b ibn Malik, he was tempted by the harvest and, you know, the luxuries of this world, and he remained behind. And Mu'adh ibn Jabbal, he stood up for him and he said, look, we know nothing except for good of Ka'b ibn Malik. You know, perhaps he has a valid excuse. Perhaps he has a valid excuse. So now Ka'b ibn Malik, he finds out that the believers are coming back from Ghazwat al-Tabuk. And his heart, you know, it starts to palpitate, like it's shaking and he's, it's beating very severely. And he is so anxious that what am I going to tell the Prophet ﷺ when I see him? And he starts looking around in uh, Medina and he realizes that no one is here except for those people who were already deemed hypocrites. And his heart sinks even further that how did I remain behind with these people? I wish I could have gone. I wish I could have gone. Now, one important point that I forgot to mention, and please forgive me for this, is that this whole story is actually mentioned as one long hadith that the son of the grandson of uh, Ka'b ibn Malik Abdurrahman, he narrates it from Abdullah, who narrates it from his father Ka'b. And Abdullah says, I was the caretaker of my father in his old age, and he told this story to me. So there's this beautiful uh, story over there that we can you know, explore later on, inshallah, if, if time permits. So now, he, they're coming back. He's really nervous. He's like, what am I going to tell the Prophet ﷺ? And again, he has this internal conflict that he knows the hypocrites are going to make up excuses and the Prophet ﷺ is going to forgive them. But he thinks to himself, I'm a believer. I should tell the truth. We're always encouraged to tell the truth. What shall I do? And he sees all of the hypocrites when the Prophet ﷺ returns, they come to the Prophet ﷺ and start giving their excuses. And the Prophet ﷺ hears their excuses and then he seeks forgiveness for them. He seeks forgiveness for them. And he leaves their fate up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to deal with in terms of any punishment that's going to come their way. But then finally, Ka'b ibn Malik, he goes up to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. 
and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam says wa alaikum assalam and he smiles but Ka'b ibn Malik he senses some anger behind that smile which is the first time he's ever noticed it and at that time he knows something is wrong he knows something bad is going to happen so he says ya rasulullah i am an eloquent man that can conduct himself you know and articulate himself very eloquently and i could present to you a thousand and one excuses but i'm not going to do that for i know that if i lie to you allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reveal something to you and it will ruin our relationship and you will forever be angry with me and the wrath of allah will come down upon me but if i speak the truth i know you will be annoyed ya rasulullah but i pray to allah that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings it to an end soon and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at that time told him to disperse and says that your decree is now with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're going to wait for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reveal something about you and as he's leaving his fellow tribesmen are around him and they tell him ya kab why did you not give an excuse to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam why did you not just make something up for he would have sought forgiveness for you and that would have been sufficient meaning the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying oh allah please forgive kab that would have been the end of the story that would have been the end of the story so then as they're walking they keep telling him go and give an excuse and he starts thinking to himself should i go back to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and make an excuse and contradict myself but then he gets this idea he asked them were there any other people that did not have excuses as well and are in the same fate as me and they answer yes there are two other people hilal bin umayya hilal bin umayya and uh, murara ibn rabi'ah and murara ibn rabi'ah these two other individuals and then kab's heart settled a little bit knowing that he's not alone in this situation and these other two companions are also waiting their fate these two other companions are also waiting their fate so now their whole time and uh, i'm going to just speed up the story a little bit for 50 days they're waiting for revelation for 50 whole days they're waiting for revelation from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hilal and murara they were elderly and they stayed in their homes and they just used to constantly cry constantly cry constantly cry whereas kaab ibn malik he says about himself i was young and i could handle you know the the confrontations with the people and at that time as soon as this happened the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam told them no one speak to these three no one do business with these three no one have any interaction with these three so kaab ibn malik he says i was young and i could handle this so i used to go to the marketplace and i used to deal with the people but no one would acknowledge me i used to go and pray in the masjid with the believers and be in their congregation and no one would acknowledge me i would come up to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and i'd say assalamu alaikum ya rasulullah and i would hope that inside that maybe his lips would move and i look just focus on his lips to see that perhaps he's whispering something but he wouldn't be whispering anything and then i would pray next to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and i would steal glances glances glimpses and just look at him and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would do the same while i was praying yet when i finished praying and i would look back towards the direction he would turn away from me now I want you to think about this, Allah. How long can you go being ignored by your community? Wherever you go, you're getting saying "Assalamu alaikum." How are you doing? No one is acknowledging your presence. And then the man that you love the most, the man that is your leader, the man that is the epitome of mercy, the epitome of kindness, the epitome of forgiveness and generosity. You're giving salams to him, 
and he's not even acknowledging you. In fact, when you look his direction, he looks the other way. You can imagine how soul crushing that is. And eventually, sooner or later, you're going to break down. And that is what happened to Ka'b ibn Malik, that he said, you know what, let me go back to the individual who I accepted Islam with and was very, very close to. And this is his cousin, Abu Qatada. And Abu Qatada, he had this wall that he built around his garden. Ka'b says, I climbed the wall to the garden. And I said, Assalamu alaikum, Abu Qatada, how are you doing? And Abu Qatada completely ignored me. Till I went and I grabbed him and I shook him. And I said, Assalamu alaikum, Abu Qatada, acknowledge me. And Abu Qatada just tried to get free and turned his face away and tried to walk away, but he was unable to. And Ka'bun Malik, he breaks down at this time. And he says, I beg you by Allah, do you know that I love Allah and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And Abu Qatada turns away and walks away. And as he's walking away, he shouts again, I beg you by Allah, do you know that I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And Abu Qatada continues to walk away. And then the third time he says, I implore you, I implore you by Allah, do you know that I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And Abu Qatada finally responded and he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, know best. And he just walked away. And that completely crushed Ka'b ibn Malik. It's completely destroyed him. Why did it destroy him? Because Ka'b ibn Malik, he had attended all of the expeditions except for Tabuk and for Badr. In fact, he was there at Bayatul Aqaba. Bayatul Aqaba was this huge event. And they gave the bayat to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam together. How could he doubt that he loves Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and his messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? And he's completely distraught. And just when you think that, subhanAllah, things cannot get worse, on the 40th day, another commandment comes from the Prophet Sallallahu A messenger comes and tells him that the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that you need to separate from your wife. And he says, what does that mean? Am I supposed to divorce her or just stay away from her? And he says that it means just stay away from her. Just stay away from her. So he tells his wife, go to your parents' house and stay with them till revelation comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at that time, the wife of Hilal bin Umayyah, she goes to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and she says, Ya Rasulullah, Hilal is very old in age. He can't take care of himself. Is there any harm? Do you dislike that I stay with Hilal and just be in his service? And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam allowed her to be in his service, but he said, do not approach him. Do not approach him. And, the, and uh, the wife of Hilal says that, you know, she ha he has no inclination or desire for, thing, for such things anymore. The family members of Ka'b ibn Malik, they come back to him and they said, look, Hilal's wife was able to get an exemption. Perhaps you can do the same. The Prophet ﷺ is very kind. We can see that you're struggling. We can see that, you know, this is a, a huge hardship and, and, and calamity for you. At least you'll have your wife by your side. And he says, how can I seek exemption? When I know that I'm young and when I know that I'm healthy and I'm able to, to take care of myself, inshallah, you know, a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come soon. And at that time, for the next 10 days, things just got extremely difficult. You can imagine he's all up in his head. How is this going to resolve itself? Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to re re reveal revelation and saying that I have disbelieved? Am I going to be exiled from Medina? Am I going to be excommunicated? Am I going to be punished? What is going to happen to me? And he's completely all up in his head at this time, subhanAllah. And you know, when you're going through those dark moments in your life and you're really struggling with your mental health, 
your chest becomes very, very tight. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from above the seven heavens, he knew this already and he observed this at that time. And thus he revealed it in the Quran in those verses. That as vast as the earth is, it became very, very small and congested for him. And those 10 remaining days seemed to last forever. Seemed to last forever. And you can imagine the, the, the fate of the other two, Hilal and Murara. We know about them that they were old in age, but they were constantly weeping and constantly crying that they wouldn't even leave their houses due to how much they were crying at that time. But as is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that after hardship comes ease. And the greater the hardship, the greater the ease from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The greater the hardship, the greater the number of eases from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what we finally see, that before this ease came for Kaab, there had to be one final test. There had to be one final test. And what was that test? That there was a... Um, you, know, you can call him the mailman, if you want to call him that, or uh, a messenger. He came from Syria, from the Ghassanid uh, Empire, and said the, the king of Ghassan, he sent this letter uh, to Kaab ibn Malik. So this messenger comes into Medina and he says, I'm looking for Kaab ibn Malik, and uh, he's doing business there at the same time. So they direct him to Kaab ibn Malik, and he says, Ya Kaab, I have this letter from the Ghassanid king for you. And the letter reads as follows, that we have heard that your messenger is being very cruel to you and that things are becoming very difficult to you, for you. We invite you to embrace our faith, to embrace Christianity. We will take care of you and we will provide for you and we will never abandon you. And subhanAllah, amazing how shaitan works, right? Just when you feel like you're abandoned by a community, this whole other community is willing to embrace you and provide for you and take care of you. And at that time, you know, Calvin O'Malik, he knew that this was a temptation from shaitan, but there's no merit to this, that there's no merit to this. There's no way I'm ever leaving Islam. This is not happening. And he thanks the messenger and he, he goes on his way. So that was the final calamity the Kaab ibn Malik had to go through. So now we finally arrive to Fajr of the 50th day. And this ease that is meant to come, how does it come about? A messenger from the messengers of Allah's messenger وسلم, climbs the mountain, and he starts shouting from the top of the mountain, Ya Kaab, rejoice, Allah has revealed about you. Ya Kaab, rejoice, Allah has revealed about you. Normally speaking, if you hear the, the, the words, Allah has revealed about you, you would be petrified, right? You're like, oh man, what has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed about me? Because like you're being documented in history till the end of time. But the fact that he said rejoice, he knew that it was something good. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had accepted his tawbah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had accepted his tawbah. And just as he's leaving his house now, a, uh, a horseman comes saying that we've heard the good news and I bring you the glad tidings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed a verse about you and has accepted your tawbah. Kaab falls into sajda at that time and prostrates and thanks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But how happy does he get? He wants to thank the man that has told him and brought him this good news that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted his tawbah. He removes his two garments and he gives it to the horseman. And he says, I want you to have this. And I want you to understand the state of poverty that they're in. I told you, Tabuk was a very, very hard time. They've lost pretty much everything that they've had. Kaab ibn Malik has no other clothes. So now he's thinking to himself, I need to go and visit the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, but I have no clothes to wear. So he knocks on his neighbor's door and says, can I borrow some clothes for today? And I'll give them back to you after this is over. 
and he borrows those clothes and he goes and visits the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. As he's walking through Medina, you would think it was Eid. Everyone is celebrating, everyone is rejoicing, and everyone is congratulating him that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted your tawbah. Everyone is, is just celebrating like it's Eid, subhanAllah. And he slowly gets closer to Al-Masjid al-Nabwi and his heart starts beating again. Like this is his first interaction with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in 50 days. Like you can imagine a man who treated everyone like their best friend, that genuinely loved everyone. And to give you some more context, 20,000 companions went to the Battle of Tabuk. 20,000 went. Yet somehow, someway, the Prophet ﷺ knew that Kaab ibn Malik wasn't there. And this wasn't Wahi coming down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was the Prophet ﷺ genuinely loving and caring his companions and caring for his ummah, that he knew them by name and could sense that they were not there. So this is how close the relationship was. So then he approaches the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he says, Assalamu Alaikum Ya Rasulullah. And before the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam can even respond and can even say anything, Talha bin Ubaidillah gets up and stands up and grabs Kaab and hugs him and embraces him and shakes his hand. And he says, Mubarak and congratulations, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala has accepted your tawbah. And what's really fascinating is that the story continues, but as Kaab bin Malik is narrating this story, he says, Talha bin Ubaidullah was the only one from the Muhajirun that stood up to greet me. He was the only one that stood up to greet me. And I will never forget his kindness on that day. And I will never forget his kindness on that day. And there's so many lessons just from that, subhanAllah. So then he finally gets to the Prophet now, and he greets the Prophet and you can imagine he's just overwhelmed with joy, just so overwhelmed with joy that he's crying. And the Prophet وسلم, tells him that rejoice for you have been forgiven. And Kaab says, oh, Messenger of Allah, is this forgiveness from you or is this forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And he says that this is forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, oh, Messenger of Allah, I would like to donate everything that I own. Everything that I own, I want to give it in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He completely overjoyed with this. And the Prophet وسلم, basically says, you know, Control your horses. Calm down, buddy. Give what you can, but keep what you need to survive. Keep what you need to survive. And then he says, Kabul Malik says, if that is the case of Messenger of Allah, as a part of my tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will only speak the truth from this day on. I will only speak the truth from this day on. And then he comments on this himself when he's telling the story to his son. He says, from that time till this day, I have never told a single lie. And you can imagine this is 40 years into the future. He says, I have never told a single lie, not bent the truth, not exaggerated anything, nothing, just straight like an arrow. That is how he always spoke. And he says, since that day, I have never spoken a lie. And they continued to celebrate that day. Now, this in, in, in summary is a story of, of, of Kaab ibn Malik. And there, there's some more details that I had to leave out uh, just for the sake of, of brevity. But I think there's some very important lessons to learn from the story. Some very important lessons to learn from the story that I wanted to highlight. Number one is the fact that the companions, radiallahu anhum, did commit sins. And we have to recognize this, that they were human beings and they did commit sins. And this shows us that one of the noblest of companions that gave bi'ah to the Prophet at Aqaba, he's attended all of the expeditions except for, for Badr and Tabuk, 
even him, he can be tempted by the dunya. Then how about everyone else in this day and age? So it shows us that the human condition is that we're all prone to sin. Yet they were the best of generations and obviously they repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we have to strive even harder to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't feel bad um, after you've committed the sin. Obviously fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before the sin, but after the sin has been committed, keep making istighfar, keep making tawbah and you will be forgiven just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave Ka'ab ibn Malik. Number two, you are allowed to speak about your sins in very few instances. The normal case scenario is that you're not supposed to speak about your sins and you're supposed to conceal them. However, if there's a lesson to be learned, then you are allowed to share them. Then you are allowed to share them. And the lesson over here was on how the dunya can be very tempting, on how if you surround yourself with the wrong people, it can be very disastrous, on how one lie can lead to, to, to bigger problems in life. And the truth will always set you free, right? All these lessons that we're going to be extracting from this, inshallah ta'ala. So you can speak about your sins under few conditions. Number three is that the truth will set you free, but it also comes with consequences. And when you make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't think that everything's going to be honky-dory and everything's going to be fine. There are going to be challenges in your way where your faith will be tested, but you have to embrace that. You have to embrace that. This is the consequence of the mistake and the sin that you committed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you, but you still need to go through that test. You still need to go through that test. So if you find yourself being tested after the sin, even after you've repented, embrace it. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it easy. But this is a part of your cleansing process. You want to be cleansed in this dunya before you move on from it. It is much, much easier to handle the calamities and hardships of this life than it is uh, of those of the hereafter, than it is those of the hereafter. Number four, we learn about the importance of who you hang around with. So the family of Ka'bah Malik is telling him, go back and, you know, make up an excuse. Go back and make up an excuse. He didn't do it, right? They're telling him, go back and tell your wife to, 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 to come up with an excuse. He didn't do it. And being noble at that time, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him. But if you give in to that peer pressure, again, there's consequences. So make sure you surround yourself with good and righteous people. And what's beautiful is that what is the last verse of the three verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals about Ka'b ibn Malik and Hilal and Murara. That, oh, you who believe, be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and surround yourself with the truthful ones. Surround yourself with the truthful ones. The next lesson we learned from this is that when an individual is struck by calamity and hardship, it is normal to grieve. It is normal to, to be upset. It is normal to, to, to feel depressed at that time. These are human conditions. Even people with the highest of Iman will feel them like these individuals. Here's a tidbit that I didn't mention, but both Hilal and Morara had attended the Battle of Badr. They had attended the Battle of Badr. And the Prophet ﷺ said about the people of Badr that nothing can harm them after Badr. I mean, no matter what they do, can harm them after Badr. So in, you, there was sort of like this, this signal already that they were going to be forgiven, but they were still upset, obviously, by it. They were still upset by it. Number six, a part of making tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is remorse, is regret, is nadam, and nadmu tawbah, kama qala nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That remorse and regret is the most important aspect of tawbah. And you have to feel that remorse and regret. And if you are not feeling that remorse and regret, you need to do a lot of hard work to cleanse the heart so it gets to that state. So it feels something for disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's usually the sins that cloud the heart 
and no longer allow it to, to feel what it's meant to feel when it comes to the sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cleanse our hearts in this month and protect us. Ameen, Ya Rabb. So uh, remorse and regret is the, the biggest thing. Then we also learn on, from this is that when you, uh, you are allowed to, to visit someone, even when they're not expecting you, and if you have a formal relationship with them, you're even allowed to transgress their boundaries. So normally speaking, you're not supposed to go into someone's area. You're not supposed to go into someone's boundary. But Abu Qatada and uh, Kab were cousins and they were friends for a very, very long time. So they had no problem climbing the wall and going into his garden. But the normal case is you shouldn't be doing that. So if there's an, uh, an understanding amongst you two, it's perfectly fine. And that is something that is allowed. Another benefit from this hadith fiqh-wise is the permissibility of non-Muslims entering into Medina. The permissibility of non-Muslims entering into Medina. The messenger came from the Ghassanid Empire and he was doing business there and he came to give that letter. No one rebuked him. No one stopped him. This shows us the permissibility of non-Muslims doing business and being there for a particular reason. If there's a particular reason for them to be there, they are allowed to be there. Number eight, we learn about the akhua, the, the brotherhood and sisterhood at the time of the companions. And I want you to think that when the verse of Tawbah comes down, some of us, we may think, oh, but it's only that individual that's been forgiven. What does it have to do with me? But the whole community was afflicted by this, subhanAllah, that they had to ignore him, right? They had to ignore the three individuals, not speak to them. It was so difficult for them as a community that someone's coming to the masjid and saying, assalamu alaikum, and you just remain silent. So when the verses of Tawbah actually came down, they're overjoyed, and they literally celebrated like Eid. They literally celebrated like Eid. So when something good happens in the lives of our brothers and sisters, we should be happy for them and rejoice for them. And when going through hardship and calamity, we should try our best to support them in any way that we can, right? They say that uh, a friend in a time of need is, uh, is half the sadness and uh, a friend in a moment of joy is twice the joy, right? And this is what we see in this beautiful hadith. Um, I know I have one minute left in this one minute. The last thing I guess I'll share with you is that one may think that it's a good thing to give all of your wealth away for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's what Kaab wanted to do. But the Prophet sallallahu told him not to do that. Only give what you can afford to give and keep the rest for your family. Only keep the, the rest and keep the rest for your family. One may say, what about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is the exception to the rule. He is the exception to the rule. So I know there's a, a lot more that I wanted to share. Uh, so please forgive me uh, for that. But Hafsa, I'm going to hand it over to you, Bismillahi ta'ala. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Nawaid. And we still have you for a little bit, inshallah. So uh, we have a little surprise. And then, inshallah, we'll come back and we'll do a bit of Q&A. So if you guys have questions about the story and the way that it, it impacts your life and the, and the stories and the, and the lessons that you can learn from it, feel free to drop those in the chat in just a few minutes. And then we'll come back to Shaykh Nawaid and ask them. And Shaykh Nawaid, if you want to end off on some more gems, inshallah, that was lovely. You see, it's very helpful when the shuh do the work for us and they list out all the lessons that we can benefit from. And that, that makes it very, very alhamdulillah helpful for us to benefit as well and to, to kind of like summarize it so jazakallah for doing that shift and everyone who's gotten their summaries please do put them all into one message and we'd love to benefit on telegram as well now oh he's already turned off the turn on his camera so can't make it a full surprise but alhamdulillah for the first time on ramadan 360 this year we have joining us sheikh amar shukri just to give you guys a quick little reminder an important one, inshallah, a timely one um, before a big date tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Sheikh Omar. How are you doing and where are you coming in from today? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Hafsa, how are you doing? 
I'm good, alhamdulillah. I'm, I, we finally have Sheikh Naveed back. I am grinning ear to ear, alhamdulillah. We don't get enough. Legend, man. MashaAllah, tawarakallah. Mughiyal's finest. Mughiyal's finest. MashaAllah, tawarakallah. MashaAllah, I can see you've been working on your French accent, Sheikh. Yeah. You know what I mean? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Trying to sound like a local. MashaAllah. Ahla wa sahla, Sheikh. It's a pleasure. Always happy to see you. Alhamdulillah. That, um, that story of Kaaba bin Malik is just one of my favorites. Mashallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless. How's your Ramadan going, Sheikh? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I can't complain, man. Ramadan is always a, a month of mercy. And subhanAllah, you really feel it, man. Every year, no matter what you're going through, you really feel the mercy and blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends us in Ramadan. Alhamdulillah. Are you, are you someone who the eating and, 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 and drinking is the hard part? Or is it the caffeine that's the hard part? Or is it the lack of sleep that's the hard part? Man, that's a tough question. That is a really tough question. Uh, I, I don't think it's a food and drink. I think usually it's the sleep. And then the first few days is the caffeine. First few days is the caffeine. But mainly it's just the, the sleep cycle. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. I have, um, I have a, a course right now. I think that's what Hafsa wants to talk about. There's a course on khushu' fi salah, basically mindfulness and salah that's, uh, that's being launched and or closing today. And so uh, Sheikh Naved, for you, mindfulness in prayer, is there anything that's like, if there's a, a, a one, just a one tip that you've benefited from, from your mashayikh in Medina, or maybe even your parents, or just anybody, as far as mindfulness in salah, what would it be? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I see Not you. At all. You're so Not excited. Of course, I, I feel the exact same about you, man. SubhanAllah. Um, I, I think let's just share a tidbit first. There's this wonderful book by Ibn al-Qaim, called The Inner Dimensions of Salah. And it's a, a very uh, fascinating book. It's translating to English and you can benefit from. But I think the concept of the way you approach the salah is the game changer for me. Like the way you approach the salah is the game changer for me. And there's so much preparation that needs to be done before you actually pray to get you into the zone. Like a lot of times we think, you know, I'm praying. Why am I not getting khushu'? It's because we haven't done the preparation before getting into, into salah itself. So from the very fact of the way that you make your wudu and recognizing that light is going to illuminate from you on the day of judgment and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving sins with each drop that drops to the fact that as soon as you're ready to say Allahu Akbar, the, the companions and the people of the past used to do all different sorts of uh, you know, exercises. Imagine Jannah behind them, the angel of death uh, uh, in front of them and you know, Jannah and Jahannam to the right and left, like anything that you need to get into the zone. And then, you know, other things like anything that would distract you in Salah, you get rid of those things. Like, there's a reason why we're told to eat before we pray. Go use the bathroom before you pray so that there's nothing left to distract you. So I think that book within of itself, I remember when I taught it the first time, that for me was the actual game changer. Like you can hear lectures all that you want, but up until you start implementing these things, you know, that's the, the real game changer. And Allah knows best. MashaAllah. JazakAllah khair. There you go. Nemo, the name of the book is Online Mindfulness and Salah Course. That's the name of the book. No, the course is, the name of the book is The Inner Dimensions of, of Prayer by uh, Ibn Al-Qayyim, Ibn Al-Qayyim and Josiah. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh Naveed. I'll leave with one tidbit, inshallah ta'ala, and then leave everybody back to the Sheikh. So Sheikh Naveed mentioned the notion of just getting into the zone and practicing mindfulness even before you get into the salah a lot of times our natural instincts or what we've been culturalized to do is actually the exact opposite of what the sunnah is and so if a person feels like they're going to break their wudu they're like hold on let me pray the first before i go to the bathroom that's the exact opposite of what the sunnah of the prophet sallallahu taught us what sheikh just mentioned which is to use the bathroom so that you can come 
and pray a prayer that's focused, a prayer that's mindful. And if there's one other thing that I can point to really quickly, and, and the course is closing tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala, and we spend maybe over 14 hours just going over the different aspects of how to pray a, a focused or a mindful prayer, is variety. Variety is, is just the easiest way to get into the zone. Variety is what forces you to go off of autopilot. So if I pray the same prayer every single day, Surah Al-Falaq, Surah Al-Nas, all of that type of stuff. I just go into, it's, it's easy to be robotic. It's easy to just go on autopilot all the time. And so switching things up, exactly. First of all, I want to shout out, there's um, 240 people here. I want to shout out specifically Amna from Canada and Dr. Gina from Missouri and Amir from NY and Abdurrahman from Columbus and Firdosa from Dublin and Istarlin from Calgary. You guys have any idea why? Oh, Anissa just turned on her. Anissa from London? Is this from London? MashaAllah. That's my Faith Essentials uh, crew right there. It's because they got their cameras on, man. Uh, cameras on, inshallah ta'ala, if you can. I think it's one of the etiquettes actually of Zoom. I think it's one of the etiquettes of Zoom. Just like uh, Jibreel came to the Prophet وسلم, and put his knees at the knees of the Prophet and got as close to the teacher as he could. When Sheikh Naved is sitting here talking, you don't want to talk into a vacuum. It sucks out your energy. Anytime you're talking into a vacuum, it sucks out your energy. So if you turn on your cameras, uh, Ola from Florida, mashallah. Oh, no, not from Florida. Astaghfirullah. From Albany, New York. From New York. No, no, no. Hold on. It's White Plains, New York. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's White Plains, New York. I'm sorry. Mashallah. But, but don't zoom and drive. Just be careful while you're doing that, inshallah. Uh, but jazakumullah khair, everybody, for turning on your cameras. So the course finishes tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala, at almaghrib.online, inshallah. So check it out. Variety is the easiest. It's the spice of life and it's the spice of your salah. It'll, it'll turn everything up for you, inshallah ta'ala, make it very easy. Jazakumullah khair. Thank you, Sabrina, for turning on your microphones or your camera. And uh, who was that? Sayra for putting the Golden Gate Bridge in your background. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless. Jazakumullah khair, everybody. Now, uh, see you tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala, at maghrib.online. We're closing, and then we're going to start. Ziba's on the treadmill. That's called the humble brag, especially if you're fasting. And we'll see everybody, inshallah ta'ala. I'm going to kick it back to the Sheikh. Jazakumullah khair. Jazakumullah khair, Sheikh Ahmad. Barakallahu alaykum. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you success in this life and the next, and make this course a success. I hope all of you sign up, bidnillahi ta'ala. Ameen, ya Rab. And uh, I just want to shout out the fact that Sheikh Ahmad, uh, is he, he always says you can't out, out hustle the hustler. So mashallah, he comes in and he makes you do half of his reminder. <laughs> he takes the other half and he dips. Mashallah, that's the way to do it. And subhanAllah, you know, honestly, if anyone signs up for that course and I get the good deeds for that, yes. I am not You're complaining. Gonna, I am exactly. not complaining. So Jazakallah exactly. khair, Amar. Jazakallah khair. Absolutely. And I really hope, inshallah, um, that you guys get a chance. I saw a lot of familiar names already in the course uh, Telegram group, so please do join. And subhanAllah, you know what was different in this course, Sheikh Navid, we do Al-Maghrib online courses like, you know, alhamdulillah, like once a month. And we have a lot of them, all of them have like a focus. We want to make sure there's like a, a, a beginning and an end somewhere, somewhere that you start and then somewhere that you end in your journey. In this class, people who are like just barely starting the introduction, just watching the first video are like, oh my God, my salah is already improving. Allah you know, Allah. it's hard. It's, it's hard to do that so quickly, mashallah. But it puts you in that mindset when you commit to something like that. You're like, hey, I'm going to fix my salah with this class. SubhanAllah just puts so much barakah in it. And this is the month to do that. Alhamdulillah. Allahu Akbar. So, Allahu Akbar. 
Alhamdulillah for that. I hope that you guys are all part of this journey as we continue it after Ramadan. And yes, I'll drop all those links and all that fun stuff in the chat, but we have Sheikh Navid for just a few more minutes. Uh, so I don't want to lose out on those, inshallah. I did see a couple of questions that were sent to me privately. If you guys can please redrop any questions that you have in the chat for Sheikh Navid about today's topic on the three companions, that would be lovely, inshallah, um, or in any of the, the, the lessons that we learned at the end there as well. I see a, a raised hand. Um, so if, Farhia, if you want to ask a question on the mic, what the heck? Let's do that, inshallah. Uh, let me just have you unmute and feel free to share your question. Bismillah. Every time I heard the story, I've always been wondering why 50 days? Why is it like, why did it take that long? You know, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best in terms of what the actual reasoning is. And we don't know for sure, but what we can assume is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala waited until their almost breaking point, if you want to call it that. And just as that was about to happen, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to the east. And this shows us that according to the severity of the crime, the, the severity of the consequences also comes into play as, uh, as, as well, right? So that is why, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, that could potentially be a reason. Beautiful question. Shazakallah khair. Uh, I see a couple more hands and I saw a couple more questions in the chat. So we'll take one more hand and then we'll take a couple written ones. Lama, let's hear from you, inshallah. Please unmute and ask your question. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi So we know that if something you're going through um, that's difficult, if it brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a test. If it takes you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a punishment. But what if you can't decipher if it's a test or hasad? Excellent. Okay. So in terms of, you know, diagnosis, it's always important to do that diagnosis. So what I would suggest is in terms of hasad, you make your azkar, recite, and the Prophet told us specifically that, you know, when hasad happens, it happens instantaneously in the sense that if a rider is riding on his horse, the, the rider will fall off his horse. That's what hasad is. And we've seen it diagnosed at the time of the Prophet that the person that gives you the, the hasad and gives you the evil eye, then they're supposed to make wudu and you're supposed to use that water and bathe yourself in it. And that is how the hasad is actually removed. So education is first uh, important to see if it's actually possible for it to be hasad. Once you've diagnosed it out and more than likely, inshallah, it isn't hasad, then in that sort of situation, you just keep focusing on your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making istighfar, continuously doing good deeds, trying to feel that remorse and regret and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. And then that is the way forward in, uh, in that situation. Allah knows best. Beautiful response, Sheikh Navid. Uh, this now, next question I see that was privately messaged is, uh, is being regretful and remorseful enough for Tawbah or must it be more than that? Excellent. So Tawbah does have conditions as does any uh, other act of worship. So sincerity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's time in the sense that before you pass away or before the sun rises from the West, then remorse and regret. Then um, if you've taken rights from any individual, you turn those rights to the individual. So if something was stolen, you, st you return that property, you spoke about their honor, you praise them, so on and so forth. Those are the four main conditions that uh, needs to be met in order for the Tawbah to be accepted. And then beyond that, making istighfar and doing good deeds uh, are, are, are also a part of, you know, wiping out the sins that you've done. And Allah knows best. Hafsa, yeah. I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Yes. We're supposed to okay. do spin the wheel. When are we doing spin the wheel? Okay. 
So technically, spin the wheel. We have to. You have to ask a tough question of the audience, and if okay. someone gets it right, then they get a spin. If it's too easy of a question, if people don't fully get it right, if they start helping each other, then we can't win. Okay. So uh, this, should I have mentioned the answer in my talk, or it can be like a really hard question? It can have. It depends. It depends on how obvious the, the answer was. But let's it's, give it a try. Oh, give it a try. Perfect. So I'll do the hard one first. If that doesn't work, then I'll give the easy one. The hard question is. This story is mentioned in Sahih Bukhari and in Sahih Muslim. Which chapter in Sahih Bukhari? Which chapter in Sahih Muslim? That is the question, and it's very possible to know it if you just think about it a little bit. But if you don't pay attention, then you're not going to get it. So far, I just see people freaking out that they didn't miss it. Which chapter? Toba, Toba, the Book of Repentance. Oh, no googling, eh? <laughs> we should have said that. We should have said that. Amir, be honest. So, was that, yeah, that, I, mean, so, I didn't see what that was. Uh, it's, it's actually mentioned in two separate books, right? So Sahel Muslim is in one book. Sahel Bukhari is in another book. They're not in the same thing. So you oh. may have gotten one. I'm not going to acknowledge that anyone got it, but I'm saying you may have gotten one, but no one's gotten the other yet. Amir just had it on lock. He had it on standby. Okay, he, he Googled it. Sheikh, we're going to have to go with another question. I appreciate okay. your honesty, Amir. No worries. The next question is, who were the other two companions that stayed behind with Kaab ibn Malik? Who were the other two companions that stayed behind with Kaab ibn Malik? And I'm not accepting first names only. It has to be their whole name. I mentioned both of their full whole names. Put them all in one, one message, by yeah. the way. Don't in do a separate message. message. Yeah. I see some people are getting close. Let's see if they got full names. Yeah. So oh. we have one person that said one. And yeah, there we go. Uh, oh. Sumbo from New York. Was Symbol first? Let me just double check oh, it. Yes, yeah. she was. Can you, I think Symbol has won before. Symbol is mashallah killing it with these spin the wheels. Mashallah. Congratulations, Symbol. Let us actually pull it up because we have a minute or so. Uh, so let's pull it up now so that we can see what you win. Let me just make sure a mindful salah is on here. Yes, it is, inshallah. So maybe this will be your way, uh, your ticket into the course. So Sheikh, bear with us. I'm going to quickly share my screen. Of course. And let us see what Symbol has won, inshallah. And bismillah. Sometimes it doesn't make the sound. Oh, it's not making the sound. The sound is the most satisfying part. It's okay, inshallah. <laughs> bismillah one. Oh, 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 it loads forever. But I saw where it landed. Did you, did you see where it landed, Sheikh? I think it landed at a year of faith essentials for free. I, I because, did not see where it landed. That's okay, oh. but because that is the best uh, award on the wheel, we are definitely going to honor it. So congratulations. My wheel just wants to have a heart attack as usual. <laughs> but congratulations, Simbol. Well, you have one for your essentials. Jazakallah, Tarshay. Reminder, no may Allah accept from you. And may Allah accept from Simbol and everyone who contributed and everyone who panicked because they didn't remember. This is your reminder to pay attention <laughs> during uh, the And just to give the answer. So in Sahil Bukhari, it's in the chapter of Expeditions, Kitab al-Ghazawat. And in Sahih Muslim, it's in uh, the chapter of Toba. So that's just the answer for everyone. Beautiful. Jazakallah khair for that and for this session. It's always a pleasure to have you back on Ramadan 360. I know we are going to see you again, inshallah, before the end of the month. We have a little uh, surprise uh, announcement and, and session coming up. So we're not going to spoil it, inshallah, but this is not the last of Sheikh Nabeet. So look forward to him uh, coming up on uh, Maghrib's Ramadan programming. Jazakallah khair, Sheikh, for being Jazakallah with khair. us. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Awesome sauce. I hope that you enjoyed that session as much as I did. Congratulations, Sumble. Please do send me your email uh, so that I can make sure that you guys are that you are hooked up with your Faith Essentials access. And I'll tell you guys more about Faith Essentials throughout the month. But I know we are getting ready for Quranic Reflection sessions. Before we jump in, I just want to remind you guys, we were just talking about giving charity and uh, you know, and, and balancing your, your wealth and your, your dunya priorities. Please do make sure as you guys are going throughout this month and you're trying to make to, to find that balance and to add as much barka into your life and your wealth as possible. Possible, please remember our friends at Forgotten Women in the UK, HHRD in the US, and Islamic Relief in Canada. They're all doing some amazing work on the ground, especially focusing on the efforts in Afghanistan right now. So please make sure that you're being consistent and supporting them. I see Sheikh Saad Taslim is with us, alhamdulillah, for today's session. So I want to jump right in because Sheikh Saad is going to start billing me for these minutes that I keep taking from him. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi Sheikh. How are you doing today? Uh, I wanted to unmute myself and give salams to Sheikh Nawaz. Oh able. no, I was going to say, you know what? I should have overlapped. It's always so nice to have you guys both together. I think Sheikh might still be here. Hold on. Is he around? No. He's, yeah, he he's usually out. sticks around, mashallah. He's he's been, uh, <laughs> I told my son, I said, uh, are you listening to Ramadan 360 today? I said, my friend is on. Uh, my friend is speaking before me. He's yeah. like, oh, really? So he logged on to check, uh, check out who it was. So, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. That's awesome. Um, all right, Sheikh, we are on day number 12 of Ramadan 360 of Quran of Reflections. We're hitting, we're quickly speeding towards that midpoint. What are we covering today, inshallah, for our reflections? So we are in Jews number 13, uh, April 13th, uh, Jews number 13. Uh, Jews number 13 is made up of uh, Surah Yusuf from verse 53 until the end. All of uh, Ar-Ra'd and Ibrahim, Surah Ibrahim from the beginning until verse 52. Uh, our verse for today is my favorite verse in this juz. And that is uh, Surah uh, Ibrahim, verse number 22. And I, I put a link in the chat. I'll, I'll put it again if I have it. Yeah. Well, we see it. I see that. Alhamdulillah. Awesome okay. sauce. Um, do we want to see if we can find, I don't have a pre, uh, pre-planned reciter right now for today, but I do already. <clears throat> I, I have a pre-planned reciter oh. uh, that I oh. see that that's here. Alhamdulillah. I know who it's going to be. Um, we see uh, our brother Abdurrahman's here. So Abdurrahman Wood. Alhamdulillah. Um, Abdurrahman's never going to turn on his camera ever again. <laughs> for these I'll call him up. I'll be like, hey man, get on. We're, we're waiting for you. So it's, it's not a problem. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Welcome, Bismillah. All right, brother friend, pass it off to you, inshallah. Let's hear that recitation. All right. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Wa qala shaytanu lamma qudiyya al-amru inna allaha wa'adakum wa'adal haqqi wa wa'adukum fa'akhlaftukum. وَمَا كَانَ لِي عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانٍ إِلَّا إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنْفُسَكُمْ مَا أَنَا بِمُصْرِخِكُمْ ما بمصرخكم وما أنتم بمصرخي إني كفرت بما أشركتموني من قبل إن الظالمين 
لهم عذاب أليم. أحسنت وجزاك الله خير. May Allah bless you and your family and grant you the best of this life and the afterlife. Everyone say Amin. Alhamdulillah. Jazak Allah khair for reciting that. Alhamdulillah. So this is, uh, I mentioned this is one of my favorite verses in this, um, in this juz, really. And this is because it goes back to uh, the seminar that I teach called Deception, a Study of the Shaytan. And in actuality, we begin the seminar with this verse right here. Uh, what this verse is, it's, it's one verse, but as you saw, it's, it's a little bit long. Uh, it is what is known as Khutbat Iblis li Ahlin Nar. It is the Khutbah, the sermon of the Shaytan of Iblis to the people of the Hellfire. And the reason why we begin the class, actually, because the class is all about the Shaytan, it's all about how the Shaytan deceives us, how he personalizes his uh, deception towards us as an individual. Uh, we mention or we, we go over this uh, verse in the beginning of the seminar because. What we are trying to avoid, what we are want to stay away from, is to ever have to listen to this uh, khutbah, this sermon uh, from Iblis himself. Because here, what Allah is telling us is Allah is reporting to us of what will happen on the day of judgment. Uh, and we and what is the, the sermon is being delivered to the people of the hellfire. So we do not want to be from the people of the hellfire. We do not want to be deceived by the shaitan. And so we want to avoid listening to this khutbah from him. So what we do want to do is that we want to listen to this khutbah, we want to recite this khutbah, we want to reflect on this khutbah, uh, as it is mentioned in the Quran, in Surah Ibrahim, over and over and over and over again in our lives, uh, so that we may um, protect ourselves from having to hear this from Iblis himself. And really, subhanAllah, as we'll see, uh, people will be uh, shocked, people will be surprised to hear these words from uh, the shaitan. Uh, but a believer should not find themselves in that position because a believer should have already heard these words. And so they would never be in that, or they should not be in that position where they would be shocked, of, of, you know, regarding what they're hearing from Iblis himself. So this is happening. And what, if you're looking at like a timeline, this is happening uh, basically when the uh, judgment has already taken place. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has judged between the people. And uh, in general, there are two parties, um, Ahlul Jannah wa Ahlul Nar, the people of Jannah and the people of the Hellfire. The people of the Hellfire are gathered and uh, to them, the Shaytan personally delivers this khutbah. Iblis himself delivers this khutbah, this sermon. And this is why in the beginning of this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَالَ الشَّيَطَانُ لَمَّا الْأَمْرِ That the Shaytan will say uh, after the matter has been decided or the matter is done. Basically, what this means is that judgment has been passed. So what we learn also right now is that this is a time where there's no return. There's no going back at this point, right? The judgment has uh, taken place. Uh, there are going to be people who will want to go back. Uh, there are going to be people who will be saying, uh, as uh, you know, we know, uh, they will say, my Lord, send me back. Uh, perhaps I may, you know, hopefully I will do righteous deeds uh, in what was left behind, meaning the life that has passed me. Uh, just send me back, give me another chance. I'll go back and I'll change and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's no turning back at this point. And uh, the shaitan, Iblis himself, he knows this. He understands this. And so now at the end, basically, it's the end of his mission, right? So his mission started uh, with the creation of Adam, alayhi salam, and he 
continues his mission of uh, misleading, uh, trying to deceive the children of Adam, Adam السلام, and the children of Adam. And this mission will continue and it will only come to an end uh, at the end of time, at you know, the day of judgment. And now, so this is the end of his mission. And now you'll see what he begins to say at this point. So Allah tells us, وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ The shaytan will speak. We hear from the shaytan, لَمَّا قُدِّ الْأَمْرِ And what's very interesting, subhanAllah, and over the years, you know, this is a seminar I've taught for many, many, many years, uh, subhanAllah, and I've had a lot of chance to reflect on this verse. And, and I hope that, you know, you will also begin to reflect on this verse. And as your life goes on, you will see, subhanAllah, um, more and more meaning come to this verse uh, as you live your life and as you become aware of the shaytan. Really, the, the purpose of that seminar is to become aware of the shaytan to protect ourselves from the shaytan. But as we learn about the shaytan, uh, you know, subhanAllah, more and more we can contemplate this verse and, and see more uh, come to light here. Uh, but one of the reflections that I've had on this verse is that, you know, we hear about the shaytan in, in, in the Quran. We hear about the shaytan in the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, we may feel the whisperings of the shaitan, right? We may, and, and the whisperings of the shaitan, we don't hear an actual voice, right? Um, in most cases, but generally for most people, you don't hear an actual voice. It's an inclination that you have, right? And that's why people have the question, um, how do you know if it is a whisper from the shaitan or it's a whisper from your own nafs? Uh, and what that means is it's an, it's an inclination. Uh, it's an internal thought. And because, uh, you know, that question is asked because it's hard to tell sometimes. Is it just my own thoughts? Is it my own inclination? Is it my own feeling? Or is this the shaytan is leading me down this path? Um, but here, subhanAllah, it seems that Allah knows best that this is the very first time we will hear the voice uh, of the shaytan, the voice of Iblis. And not only that, we will be able to see Iblis, the shaytan, in his form, in his original form, in the form that Allah has created him in. And in the class, we get into a lot of detail about you know, can the shaitan take on a different form and so on and so, so on and so forth. But one of the things that well, conclusions we come to in the seminar is that we do not have the ability to see the shaitan in his original form. That is an ability that was given to the Prophet and it seems that Allah knows best the other prophets as well. But for the rest of us, we do not have the ability to see the shaitan uh, and really to see the jinn as a whole. The shaitan is one of the jinn. Uh, we do not have that ability to see the jinn and the shaitan in their original form. Same thing, by the way, with the angels. We, we cannot, we don't have the ability to see the angels in their in their original form, meaning the form that Allah created them in. They take on a different form. That's a different matter. Uh, so, whereas this is the first time, Subhanallah, may Allah protect us, that we'll be witnessing. Uh, we don't want to be, but those people they will be witnessing, they'll be seeing Iblis in person and hearing his voice uh, for the very first time. Uh, Subhanallah. And so, uh, Allah tells us, "Waqala shaytan." The shaytan speaks. "Lamma al-amr." when the um, matter has been decided, the judgment has taken place. And then Allah says, and Allah tells us that the shaytan Iblis says, he begins his khutbah, he begins his sermon by saying, inna Allah wa'adakum wa'adal haqq. That certainly, uh, certainly Allah had made you a true promise. The promise of Allah was true. And now it's very interesting now is that, the, that Iblis himself is reminding us of goodness of the promise of Allah, of what we were supposed to do. And now he's reminding us because it's of no benefit to us. In this life, the, the shaytan, Iblis will not remind us. He will not say, you know, listen to the promise of Allah, listen to the commands of Allah. They're better for you. They're the truth and so on and so forth. He will never, he won't say that to us. But now that we can't go back, we can't do anything. What he is doing is, and, the, and I usually say, it's like he's, he puts a knife in our back and now it's just time to twist that knife. Or he has caused us a wound and now it's just time to pour salt 
in the wound, right? So this is the purpose of, as we'll see, the purpose of this khutbah really is to rub salt in the wound or twist the knife. You know, he's already established, may Allah protect us. He's now twisting the knife, boasting his arrogance. And we know arrogance is one of the main traits uh, of Iblis. And so now this is, uh, subhanAllah, you know, this is a time where he wants to, he wants to boast. And so uh, he, wa and he wants us to, to feel bad. He wants us to feel really, really bad. And he starts his khutbah with, certainly the promise of Allah was true. Allah had pr promised you a truthful promise. Uh, some of our scholars mentioned that the wa'ad al-haq means wa'ad al-yawm al-haq. That it is the promise of the day of truth. And the day of truth is, well, what is the day of truth? Who knows? Bismillah. What is the day? Of, you can put in the chat. Judgment day. Alhamdulillah. Sundus from France. Alhamdulillah. Zakallah khair. Uh, the day of DFJ, as someone said, DOJ, <laughs> not Department of Justice, day of judgment, right? Um, so that is the, the day, the promise of that day. But the promise of Allah is, is more than that. So that's part of the promise of Allah. The promise of Allah is that there will be, and it really, you can, we can look at it as it all stems from that, right? So if we believe in the promise of the day of judgment, we will believe in everything that happens on the day of judgment. And we will believe that on the day of judgment, we'll be held account for our deeds and we will be sorted according to our deeds. And those with good deeds will be granted paradise and those with bad deeds will be led to the hellfire. May Allah protect us. And so all of that comes, you know, we can say an argument can be made, if we believe in, in, uh, in the day of judgment, then, you know, subhanAllah, everything else will, will come into line. All the other promises become true at that point. So um, what we learn is the day of resurrection is true. Heaven is true. Hell is true. Um, paradise is true. The, the, the sending of the prophets is true. The message is true. All of that was part of the truthful promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if you obey Allah, then you will go to Jannah. And that is a promise of Allah. If you disobey Allah, may Allah protect us, then that person goes to the hellfire. This is all for, this is all the, from the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Iblis, he says, certainly Allah had promised you a truthful promise, right? And then he says, and I promised you as well. I made a promise to you, but I betrayed you, right? And so what was the promise of the shaytan? The promise of the shaytan was, don't worry about the day of judgment. Is it even real? Is it even true? Is it, you know, is, isn't it just a, a fairy tale? You know, this whole idea of a day of judgment and heaven and hell and so on and so forth. Like, come on, it's just, how, how does, does that seem real to you? Is it even possible? Um, you know, why don't you just live your life? Like all the, the only thing that matters in life is that you're happy, right? Just live your life, enjoy, have fun, do whatever feels good to you. Don't worry about accountability and the day of judgment and so on and so forth. Those are the promises uh, of, of, of the shaitan. And as Allah subhanahu wa tells us, that he, the shaitan promises them and uh, he arouses their desires in them. And the only promise of the shaitan is غرور, is deception. The only thing, so the promise of shaitan is nothing but deception. So the shaitan was deceiving us. And now here he speaks the truth. Finally, finally, at the end, when it's of no benefit to us, may Allah protect us, the shaitan speaks the truth. And now Shaytan finally tells the truth here. And he says, I made promises to you as well. Remember my promises? Yeah, they're not true, right? I, I, I betrayed you, right? And once again, the benefit of that for Iblis now is to make, only make, um, make it worse for us, right? To make us feel even worse. And then he goes on to say, وَمَا كَانَ لِيَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ And he will say, 
Uh, and you know what? I had no authority over you. I had no control over you. Meaning, listen, uh, you listened to my promise. You followed my example. You, you, you listened to me, you obeyed me and so on and so forth. But I, you know, I had no control. I could not physically make you do something. And there are some exceptions to that, you know, in terms of possession and all that, but that's a separate matter completely. That's not part of the, the discussion here because these are not people who will say, oh, I was possessed. And because I was possessed, I, you know, I did such as that. No, this is everyone who did things by their own free will. They were not forced into it, right? Um, there's no, there's no, there's no, for, Allah will not hold a person uh, who is forced to do a matter. Allah will not hold them accountable for, for what they're forced to do. So whether it's a, even a human being forces you to do something bad, that's, you know, may Allah protect us. That's not something that the, that Allah will hold us to account for. Everything Iblis now is reminding us, the shaitan is reminding us, subhanAllah, that it was your own free will, right? I had no control over you. The only thing, and he'll mention, uh, is, you know, what he was able to do is, as Allah tells us, He beautified our deeds for us, right? So that is, but that's an example of what he was able to do. Um, and so he has no, you know, he said, I have no authority over it. Also, our scholars mentioned a very beautiful point. They say that, uh, subhanAllah, when regarding sultan, right, authority, a person may have authority in different ways. Maybe physical authority, right? A person has authority over us and they can physically make us do something. But even, subhanAllah, if we think about it intellectually and spiritually, the shaitan will admit that he had no authority over us. So all the arguments that he brought all the, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote evidences that he brought are not real evidences or the doubts, you know, and we learn and talk about in the seminar, how uh, the two prongs of the attack of the shaitan are uh, shahawat and chubuhat, right? Uh, desires and doubts. And, uh, you know, uh, we already talked about how Allah tells us that he arouses in them their desires, but also doubts, right? So these doubts, if we, if we had knowledge and understanding, and if we at least went to the people of Nadu and understand that these doubts, they're not an authority. So the reasoning that the shaitan gives is not an authority over us. If we just contemplated, if we just uh, stuck to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we increased our knowledge, if we relied on the people of knowledge, and so on and so forth. On the other hand, the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came with clear proofs and clear evidences, right? We have a living, breathing miracle, uh, metaphorically speaking, a living, breathing miracle in our hands of Quran, right? It lives. It's, it's, it's gonna, Allah is going to preserve it until the day of judgment. It's not going to be um, altered and changed in any way. We have access to it. Uh, we're reflecting upon it right now, right? So these are clear evidences from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so what, and so also the message of the shaitan here is that I didn't have any authority over you. There's no real authority. What you thought of, what you thought was convincing wasn't, wasn't very convincing at all. Uh, but you, I deceived you, basically. You were, I was able to deceive you and you thought it was convincing. And so he says, I had no authority over you, illa, except. And now this is a big exception here, right? Illa. Illa an da'awtukum fastajabtum li. Except that I invited you, da'awtukum, from da'awah. I gave you da'awah. Uh, and uh, and you know we've been talking about you know contemplating doing tadabbur is to personalize uh, these these verses and I have no problem in personalizing this verse even though it is speaking about the people of the hellfire because personalizing this verse allows us to protect ourselves from the shaitan so we need to imagine one of the things I do in my class and I didn't want to do it here because there's a lot of people here a lot of people I don't know it's a very open environment but in in the seminar what I do is I have people close their eyes and imagine themselves standing on the day of judgment 
standing in front of Iblis and imagine the scene and imagine the Iblis speaking to them, right? I mean, that's as personal as you can get, subhanAllah. It's, it's kind of like a, you know, you close your eyes and you put yourself in that position. Like, okay, I imagine myself standing there and because I want you to feel it. I really want you to feel it. As we're supposed to feel the Quran, right? That we're supposed to, this we're supposed to really affect our hearts. And so personalize this message as much as I can. So if I say you, it's not, it's nothing personal, by the way, when I, when I mention you here. You, I mean myself included, but I mean you as in, please put yourself in the position here. Personalize this message as if Iblis is speaking to you. Because if you, if we think that Iblis is speaking to us now, then we will heed the message, inshallah ta'ala. But then we'll be too late. May Allah protect us. So he says, Illa and da'utukum. I, the only thing is I invited you. And then it's very interesting. He says, I invited you. Fastajabtumli. And then, you know, the fa here is uh, immediacy, like immediately. Um, like, for example, you say, uh, right? I entered the room and I sat down, meaning I immediately sat down. That's the, that's the general meaning here. Or if you say, right? I entered the room and then I sat down, there may be some time there, right? But when you say, it's like immediately. So he's saying, it's as if he's saying, like, I, I gave you the da'wah, I called you, invited you. Like, you didn't even hesitate. Like, what a, like look, at, look how I fooled you. What a dummy. What a dummy you are, subhanAllah. And yes, he's mocking us. Right? And then we need to feel really the weight of this of how he's mocking us. May Allah protect us. He's saying like, you just, you, you didn't even question what I had to say to you. Like you had these inclinations. I invited you here, invited you there. I just called you. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. And you answered my call. And the, and the point of mocking here also is that he's, he's saying, he's telling us that, you know, you, you had the truth. You had the warning, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala warned us in the Quran, in the shaytana lakum adu. Certainly the shaytan is an enemy for you. Fattakhiduhu aduwa. The fa, right? Allah is telling us the shaytan is an enemy. Fattakhiduhu aduwa. So take him as an enemy. Meaning right now, immediately don't delay. He is an enemy to you. So immediately take him as an enemy. So we don't want to be in that position where Iblis says, I called you, fa, and immediately you answered my call. But this is what Iblis is saying here, that you didn't, you didn't even hesitate. Right. So basically it's 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 not, you know, it's not me, it's you. And that's what he says next. He says, don't blame me. So don't blame me. Rather blame yourselves. And this is very, very interesting, subhanAllah. Very, very interesting. Um, if you think about blame here, and I'm gonna ask you to reflect upon this when we get to the end. I just want to go through the whole um uh ayah here because it the impact of it really needs to be felt as a whole, and I'll ask you to reflect in the end. Uh, but one of the questions I'm going to ask you is, uh, what is what, what is the significance of blame here, right? But I'll give you one of the one of the answers here is that blame is oftentimes how we get out of taking responsibility, right? When we blame other people, and the biggest one I see, Subhanallah, in amongst Muslims today is you know it's either one of two things: either people like just don't believe in the shaitan, right? The shaitan's not real, blah blah. blah or the shaitan's a metaphor for evil or the metaphor for bad thoughts, blah, blah, blah. There's that whole group. And then there's a group that goes in the other extreme. They just blame the shaitan for everything, right? Oh, I did this, it's the shaitan's fault. This is how, it's the, you know, shaitan made me do it. And shaitan made it, it's the shaitan's fault. And this and that, whatever, all this kind of stuff, right? Blaming the, blaming the shaitan, right? But the shaitan himself, he will come on the day of judgment. He will say, don't blame me, blame yourselves. Right? Because that's a cop-out. It's really easy to be like, you know what, the shaitan, Allah told us the shaitan's an enemy, and so the shaitan misled me, and so on and so on and so forth. No. 
our belief as Ahlul Sunnah, the people of Sunnah, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, is that Allah has given us free will. We have the ability to make decisions and therefore we will be held accountable for our decisions. No one can force us, right? Allah doesn't force us and nor can Iblis force us and make us do things. And subhanAllah, Iblis is teaching us our own aqidah right here. And, and we know Iblis actually is a, is, a, is a scholar in the deen because he is very, very knowledgeable. He has intimate knowledge of, of Allah and intimate knowledge of the, the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knows Allah, right? And this is actually another point in, from the seminar. We talk about how, you know, what was Iblis's uh, issue? You know, did he believe in Allah? Yes, he believed in Allah. So is he a believer? No, because he did not follow that up with action, right? So simply having the belief is not enough on its own. But if you're talking about having knowledge and, 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 and knowing things, well, he's the biggest alim. He knows a lot, right? This is why he makes dua to Allah and so, and so on and so forth. So he's teaching us our own deen here. But, but like I said in the beginning, it's, it's because at this point, it's no benefit to us. So wallahi, this is a rahmah. This verse is a rahmah from Allah because Allah is telling us already what's going to happen. Allah is saying, here it is. This is the outcome. This is the end. Protect yourselves. And so this verse is a rahmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, Don't blame me. Blame yourself or blame yourselves. And then he says, ما أنا بمصرخكم وما أنتم بمصرخي. He says, I cannot save you, nor can you save me. And is this this uh, verb here, uh, uh, or this uh, this word مصرخ comes from the verb صرخة. Uh, any uh, if we have any uh, Arabs in, in attending or or anyone who speaks Arabic, what does صرخة uh, or صريخ? What does that mean? Bismillah. Who knows what that means? صرخة. You can put it in the chat. Uh, yeah, to scream, right? To scream, to yell. So what is happening here uh, is that, and you know, when we do that visualization exercise in my seminar, when people have their eyes closed, I'm, I tell them, I want you to imagine that all these people are gathered here. It's a very, very large number, right? A very, very large number. And I say, like, when you're visualizing it, think about as far as your eye can see, there are people gathered here. And people, when the Iblis stands up to speak, people get quiet. They want, to, they want to hear what he has to say. And they're hoping some relief will come. Okay, this homie, he's the one who told us to do this and this and this and blah, blah, blah. And so he's here now. We finally get to see Iblis. He'll have some answers for us. And people are listening attentively. So there's chaos and commotion. People have been given the news of the hellfire. And there's utter chaos and commotion. But when Iblis speaks, people quiet down because they want to hear what he, perhaps he has some answers. And now what is happening, if you've been hearing so far, He's not helping. He's only making it worse. As I said, twisting the knife. And by this point, people are now upset again. People are yelling and screaming. And it's once again, chaos again. And so people are yelling and they're saying, Iblis, save me. Iblis, save me, save me. Take me out of this situation. Take me out of the situation. They're yelling for help. And he says, I can't help you. I can't even help myself, right? And one of the things I'm going to ask you uh, when we get to the end here, here is why are people asking Iblis for help here? Right when Iblis himself he's in this situation, but I want you to think about that inshallah. But what he's saying here is like, look, I can't even help myself. How can I help you? Right? I'm in the same boat. That, and, and Iblis is willing to make that sacrifice because of his arrogance. He knows in the very beginning when Iblis disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah, you know, told him uh, to, to get out of paradise. And literally, Allah said, Go to hell, <laughs> right? Go to hellfire. And he said, Rabbi fa'anvirni ila yomi He said, My Lord, give me some delay. 
allow me to, to live until the day on which they are resurrected. And Allah answers, but he knew, he knows he's going to the hellfire, but his arrogance won't allow him to make tawbah and repent. He already knows. His only goal is to take as many human beings with him as possible, and as many people with him as possible. And now this is a moment for him to gloat, even though he's going to hellfire. He knows he's going to hellfire. He is still gloating because he's thinking, look at, look at the amount of people that I'm able to take with me. So he says, I cannot help you, nor can I help myself. Basically, um, you're calling me to help you. I, I'm, no, I'm of no assistance. I can't even assist myself. And then he says, He said, certainly I denounce all previous associations of me, or we can say I denounce uh, or I reject all the uh, associations you made between me and Allah. Meaning you associated me with Allah, right? What does that mean? What that means is that we obeyed him instead of obeying Allah. So meaning instead of obeying Allah, we obeyed him. And that is the shirk that he is mentioning here. Right, that instead of obeying Allah and listening to Allah, we listen to Him. So we gave a part of um, uh, what is owed to Allah, we gave it to Iblis, to the shaitan. Right, and so if we obeyed Him, when we obey someone, we view them in, in, in a, in a uh, we obey someone because we view them at uh, because we, we view them to have some type of authority, right, some type of power, something over us, and so we may obey them. And now, when He says, Look, I can't help you. I can't even help myself. He says, look, don't put me on this pedestal. Don't, don't, you know, I know I told you to listen to me and obey me, but I reject that now. And once again, why is he telling us the truth? Once again, to twist the knife. So he says, In the previous life, all those times where I told you to obey me and follow me, I reject that. I've, I don't, I don't, I'm no part of it, right? I denounce it. I have nothing to do with it. And this is, by the way, the MO of the shaitan. The MO of the shaitan in our seminar, we talk about many, many examples in which the shaitan brings people to the edge of destruction, then he abandons them, right? To the edge of destruction, and then he says, I'm out, peace, nothing to do with you, right? You're on your own, right? I don't have nothing to do with you. And likewise, he's doing that, which is very, very, very similar. This is, you know, this is the end of his, of his message. So, of course, he is doing that here. And then now he comes to the end of his khutbah, the end of his sermon. And the only thing that is probably uh, the worst the worst possible thing he can do right now. At, at this point, he's made us feel uh, hopeless. He's made us feel uh, that we've been deceived and so on and so forth. The only, the, the worst thing he can do now is to say, look, now that you have done all this, you listened to me, obeyed me and so on and so forth, let me show you what's in store for you. And then he says, <laughs> He says that the oppressors, the wrongdoers, they have a painful punishment for them. And now this is real. He didn't tell us, he didn't tell us in, in the dunya. He didn't tell us, he didn't remind us of the akhirah. He didn't remind us of, as a matter of fact, he, he told us there is no akhirah. There is no, there's no day, there's no heaven, there's no hell, all that kind of stuff. But now he's saying, see over there? Because now we're, we're going to witness it with our own eyes. May Allah protect us. But as I said, personalize the message. People there, they're witnessing it with their own eyes. And he says, look, right there, there's your painful punishment. And that is only to increase us in, 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 in feeling horrible, in feeling bad. And subhanAllah, you know, um, well, well, we'll get to that last point. So that is the end of the khutbah. May Allah trying to protect all of us from having to hear this khutbah from Iblis, from the shaitan himself on the day of judgment. Allah, ameen. I want you to listen to this khutbah over and over and over again in this life. I want you to reflect upon it. I want you to, to, to if your iman is feeling down, if you're feeling overcome, 
by either doubts or you're feeling overcome by desires, recite this khutbah. Go to Surah Ibrahim. Go to verse 22. Recite it uh, and look at the meanings and contemplate it. Wallahi, it can be very, very powerful. That when you're dealing with all those problems, when you're, I, I said, especially, especially desires and doubts. And desires can also, especially when we're feeling tempted, recite this khutbah. And then it becomes very, very clear. Surah Ibrahim, verse 22. Surah Ibrahim, verse 22, if you're asking. Okay. So that is the khutbah of Iblis. May Allah protect us. May Allah protect all of us from having to hear this from Iblis. A couple of things I want to ask you regarding, um, you know, the wording that was used. And as we, you know, we've already talked about personalizing this message and how it would apply to us personally. Uh, but let's talk about the uh, first thing. Uh, we talked about the promise. Uh, we talked about what that means. Uh, let's talk about authority, right? So I mentioned two types of authority that, that uh, Iblis may have over us, right? Uh, authority as in, you know, uh, physical authority, right? He may force us to do, or uh, intellectually, right? Or, or some proofs and evidences. What are some other ways that the shaitan controls us, right? Or seemingly controls us. Um, and you can draw from your own life experiences. You can draw from things that you have seen or witnessed. Uh, and by the way, my seminar is about our, is about our own selves. You know, one of the, one of the, the taglines of the seminar is this seminar is not about the shaitan, it's about you because it's about knowing yourself. When we know ourselves, we know our own weaknesses, we know our own desires, we know our own temptations, we know our, uh, you know, what we, we understand our own selves, we'll be able to defeat the shaitan because the shaitan, he personalizes our our deception, all right? Uh, so, so let's see, any hands, bismillah. All right, I saw a couple hands immediately shoot up. Uh, one's gone down, so I wanna definitely hear from Riz, inshallah. Please unmute yourself and share. So I, I took deception. And I, I remember doing the visualization uh, 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 exercise and it, it really did shake me. Um, one of the things I think for me personally that I thought um, with shaitan is like desensitizing yourself with the fard obligations and the sun obligations like you know, sometimes I'd be like, oh, look at the time. It's time to pray, maybe dhahr. And I'm like, okay, I'm running out of time. I normally pray my sunnah. You know, a growing, if you're daisy, you grow up with your mom telling you you have to pray the sunnah. So yeah. I'm like, okay, it's, it's just the sunnah. It's okay, I'll miss it for today. As long as I get my fard in. And then I noticed I started not praying my sunnah for a longer period of time. And, uh, you know, my, I remember speaking to my mom on the phone. She goes, oh, are you praying your sunnah? And I was like, oh, snap, you know what? You're right. And she goes, don't think that um, don't think that that's OK. She goes, how do you even know that your father is being accepted? And uh, I was like, you know, true, very true. And so I think um, it's those things that you wouldn't not you won't think it's bad there are still acts of um, worship, but they've kind of, they're, they're made to seem that you're not doing anything wrong by not fulfilling them because they're not fired. Absolutely. So for me, that was a big, big, big takeaway. And I think that, I think most people kind of go through that even with other uh, acts of obligation, like fasting by not yeah. making them up. If you, you know, owe them, it's okay. Got plenty of time. Um, yeah. I've I've seen situations like even even in the case of hijab where, and this is a personal one, and I remember doing this. Um, I remember reflecting this when I I did your chronic vibes as well, by the way. So um, 
one of the things was like you know when you leaving uh leaving things and this happened to my aunt like we were it was a wedding and she had said you know she said to my mom oh mashallah you know all your daughters are wearing hijab um i'm gonna do it but i'm gonna wait till the wedding goes past and then i'll start wearing hijab and um the wedding was on a saturday she got into a car accident and died instantly on the monday she never got to fulfill her 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 um her request of bringing and i remember my mom saying to her why are you waiting you don't know when you're gonna go and it's it's you know that really shook me when when she passed away that that really really shook me and it was worse because i actually did her henna on her hand and her my uncle said to me she still had the henna on her hand when she passed away and so um a lot of mercy on you. i mean yeah that's this amazing point really and and this is one of the ways that he controls us right and a lot of these comes under they come under doubts they come under uh the rationalization we talked about this in the seminar a lot uh, the rationalization of of either the rationalization of sins or you know rationalizing leaving off uh certain good deeds right uh, or belittling we talk about belittling good deeds right like oh it's not that big of a deal whatever well eventually when you belittle something it, it becomes a big deal you know and we talked about this in seminar and, and yeah that's one of the ways he exercises authority control over us alhamdulillah uh very good very good uh, okay. anyone else so I see a few hands. Next, we'll take uh, Lila from Georgia. But in just a second, because nobody ever does this, nobody ever admits it. Riz is actually a Maghreb's email marketing manager. She's the oh, one who's wow. responsible for all the emails that go out to you. And she's like slyly just it's like, oh, I took all your classes. Yes, you took all of his classes, Riz. You've taken every single Maghreb class. <laughs> Mashallah. So are you the one who's, who sends out the emails and signs my name at the bottom? Yeah, no, she, oh, she's the one the, schedules I, everything, plans everything, orchestrates basically every single email that goes out. Who writes my name at the bottom of the email? Let me find that person. That, so so it's either Sheikh Amar, it used to be Sheikh Amar, or it's this new brother from uh, the UK, a volunteer named Ibrahim. Okay. But we don't so get to highlight the hook. Names, Sister's off the hook then. Yeah, he's, she's off the hook. She's off the hook. She probably <laughs> schedules it. She sends it. There's a mistake okay. in the time it's sent. We go to All right. her. Okay. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Allah accept from her and everyone. I mean, ya Rab. Let's Ameen. take uh, Lila inshallah from Georgia. Lila, please do unmute yourself inshallah. We'd love to hear your reflection. Assalamualaikum. So I was going to mention the hijab as well, but a little differently. But basically, should, um, in my opinion, like one thing I've noticed about a lot of women and girls and uh, who practice the hijab, uh, and I'm per speaking on a personal perspective as well, that shaitan has many, um, has us doubt um, wearing the hijab. And this does come from like a portion of myself that um, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. So um, I understand that um, shaitan does put into my mind doubts of wearing the hijab. I want to take it off. I'm not perfect. I could do better and I'm not worthy of the hijab. And um, the biggest issue is fighting against these urges to take off the hijab because I am a practice. I've been practicing the hijab for the past ten years, and I'm out of my own peer choice. And it's it's a struggle. It's a huge struggle for me, at least. Like I don't, I cannot speak for any other woman, but um, Shaitan has this thing um, to basically put whispers into our head that oh you're not perfect you don't pray five times a day for some women not all women obviously but you don't pray five times a day you don't do this you don't do that um you don't fulfill your um first obligations and 
Yeah. Uh, this is the biggest issue that I've seen amongst myself as well as some of my friends. Zakalakh. Uh, absolutely. Obviously, I cannot relate. Uh, I'm a guy. I've never worn hijab. Uh, but I can relate to the principle that you're mentioning and the idea that you're mentioning that the shaitan will use our insecurities against us. Yes. Uh, and I often say he uses our humanity against us. Uh, what I mean by humanity is that, that we're not perfect. And the shaitan will come and say, since you're not perfect, why bother? Right. And he, but he doesn't phrase it like that. He says, you have this problem and that problem, and that problem, and that problem. Why are you even bothering doing whatever you're doing? Right. Classic shaitan, classic Iblis, may Allah protect us. Um, that that's how it works, and that's one of the ways that he that he, yeah exercises control over us. Uh, thank you so much. Now I'll take one more person. Oh, we're oh, subhanAllah, time flies. Uh, okay, I, I want I want to also want you to reflect on uh, the last portion of the verse, uh, but continue to share in the chat. Alhamdulillah, I think there's a lot of benefit here. Um, the last portion of this verse is uh, when Iblis says, "In the lahum adabun alim." Now, um. Is is everyone there a volim, right? Because because if we're personalizing the message, uh, you know, I often I, I when we do this in class, I, I tell the students like, look, one of the questions you're gonna have is like volim, like you call me a volim, you call me an oppressor. Like I knew, like who the volimun were, right? I knew like dictators and and so on and so forth, and people who, um, you know uh you know committed genocides and and like they oppressed others or whatever like i'm not a volume like i i committed sins but i'm not a volume i never oppressed anyone so what why is iblis referring to us as uh, a volume right why are we he says in the volume like why is he including us amongst the uh, those who committed vun? uh so go ahead so I'll raise your hand Alrighty, and if you guys raise your hand for the previous question, please lower them just in case we pick you on accident. Uh, let me see. Uh, Sister Nazia's hand was up very, very, very uh, uh, early in the beginning. So let's hear from you, Sister Nazia. Please unmute yourself and share your reflection. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Yeah, not oppressor as in sort of the, the general term, but I think what it's meaning is that we're oppressing our souls and our nafs. And we're doing ourselves wrong. Um, we're acting, in a sense, against Allah. So we are um, violent to ourselves, to our to our sort of um, default mechanism. So, if you know, before we do a, a, an act that isn't, um, before we act out in a sin, that there is a little piece of us that says, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, or the consequences, and then the whispers come in and normalizes it okays it and then we do it and then that then that regret comes in so um in the sort of general sense i think it's the fact that we are being zalim to ourselves absolutely no absolutely look even the people who committed like um uh, as we you know tend to see them like oppression and wrongdoing and so on and so forth they're also oppressing themselves right so in the afterlife they will see that yeah they oppressed other people uh, but first and foremost, they oppress themselves by oppressing others because they oppress themselves by those sins that they were they were committing. So in this sense, you know, everyone is a dhal. Anyone, anyone who commits a sin, they are doing dhulm against their own nafs, right? And that dhulm becomes apparent now in this situation and in, 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 during the khutbah. And now that the outcome is here, a person become, becomes cognizant of that. They're like, oh, you know what? All that time that I was like having fun, just doing whatever I want to do, committing this sin and that sin and so on and so forth, I was actually harming myself, right? It was actually a that was taking place uh, to myself. Very good. Uh, what else? What else? Awesome. Regarding Let's hear from Fahimia from Canada. 
please do unmute yourself, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. So I'm just thinking about maybe uh, he's re uh, referencing to uh, the fact that we are maybe behaving as hypocrites uh, when we do those things he is still in our minds. We know we have the, the ability to discriminate between right and wrong and we still follow his leads. So uh, yes, uh, we are. it's a, a mudalim, but I think there is also that notion of hypocrisy in it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, yeah, you know, obviously hypocrisy is one of the tools of the shaitan without a doubt. Um, and hypocrisy is a very tricky one because sometimes, yeah, when we fall into hypocrisy, um, we are going down a wrong path. Obviously, that should be clear. Uh, and the, the, the flip side of that is that sometimes the shaitan will accuse us of hypocrisy uh, to, to get us to stop doing good deeds. Uh, which is a little bit of a nuanced point. I know you something you'd have to really content, and I don't even know if I should have brought it up right now because it is a little bit of a complex issue, but uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, our sister mentioned an example uh, with the hijab, right? So uh, the shaitan comes to somebody who uh, wears hijab and says, you know, you're, you're, you're a hypocrite because by wearing hijab, you're trying to show people that you're a good Muslim, but you do this and that's and that's and that's and that's. And that's. Right. So it's like, hey, you're a hypocrite. Why are you even bothering? And so it's very subhanAllah conniving how the shaitan will use both aspects of hypocrisy uh, to try to uh, deceive us. And also um, uh, when, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blames uh, or reprimands those who, who are, are hypocrites or those who commit hypocrisy. Uh, for example, uh, you command the people to do good and you forget your own selves. The shaitan will come and say, ah, look, right? You're not doing it yourself. You're telling other people to do it. Stop telling other people to do it. That's not the message there. The message is you start doing it as well. If you're telling other people to do it, you got to work, you got to work hard and you got to, you got to, um, you, you got to start doing it as well. I remember subhanAllah, one of the things that, that drew me uh, to Islam, and I've never shared this with anyone, by the way. Uh, so the first time sharing this. One of the things that drew me to Islam uh, is as I began to do my research and, and looking into you know Islam and it, it started to make sense and so on and so forth. I had friends that that you know I, I was in college at this time and you know I had a couple of friends that were Muslim. Um, you know, growing up I didn't really have any Muslim friends, but in college I had a couple Muslim friends and I'd be like I'd call them out and I'd be like, how come you guys don't do like Islam says this, but you guys don't like you don't do this. And then one time a friend of mine was like, yeah, but you don't do it either. And I was like, yeah, but in my mind, I'm like, but I'm, I'm not really Muslim. Like, I'm, I don't even know if this is the truth yet, right? But like, I'm looking for the truth and, and maybe this is the truth or whatever. But then just one day, like, it really hit me. He's like, yeah, but you don't do it either. And I'm like, you're right, right? If, if I'm convinced by this and I'm like, I'm attacking you and I'm saying, look, you claim to be Muslim, but you don't do X, Y, and Z. Well, that means I think it's a good thing. And if I think it's a good thing, why am I not doing it? And I said, to, I said to a friend of mine, I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that was around the time where I began to have this feeling that, you know, if I don't take my shahada, if I don't like become consciously become Muslim, um, then I'm like lying to myself. Like I'm not being true to myself. So alhamdulillah, like I was able to like, you know, say like, you know what, I got to change myself. It's not that I stop doing, stop, you know, encouraging that, which is good. I have to change myself, right? Uh, and and that, that's just a, just a reminder, subhanAllah, for, for all of us. And I've faced other times in my life where, I mean, you can imagine doing what I do, uh, public speaking, giving da'wah, teaching, whatever, that's a constant attack of the shaitan. 
when shaitan would come and say, hey, you, you're telling people to do this now, whatever. Are you doing it? You know, and there's a notion like the, there's an instinct to be like, yo, remember, I, I better stop telling people to do it. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to start doing it. Right. Or I need to try harder. Like uh, I have a, I have a video about Qiyamul Layl, which I think is like my most watched video on, on YouTube for some reason. It's about uh, 10 minutes before it's called 10 minutes before Fajr. And I'm encouraging people that even if you wake up 10 minutes before Fajr, uh, pray Qiyamul Layl. Because even, even 10 minutes before Fajr is actually the last third of the night. And subhanAllah, every now and then somebody will at me, you know, on Twitter or whatever. And like, you know what, I saw this video and I started praying. And I'm like, man, it's a way for me to check myself and say, am I, am I as uh, enthusiastic about Qiyamul Layl right now uh, as, as when I was when I said those words, right? And it, it's a check for me. And, and alhamdulillah, and that's, that's one of the reasons I continue to do what I do. Honestly, if it wasn't for some of these things, I would have retired a long time ago. I would have gotten back to civilian life, get a nine to five, just chill, you know, be anonymous, uh, go to the masjid and pray and come home, whatever. Like life's so much easier that way, subhanAllah. <laughs> I don't have to do this, you know. Uh, SubhanAllah, people only see the, people only see like the public and the spotlight aspect of, of what I do and what people, you know, who do what I do, there's so much more to it. And they, they're, well, like, there's times where I'm like, you know, I'm done. Uh, I've done my part, you know, I've given up da'wah. Uh, I was in Medina for like six, seven years. I've been giving da'wah now for 10 years. I, I've done my, I've given my due. Uh, but then I always come back to, like one of the points I always come back to is uh, it, it, it keeps me going, right? So uh, like it, it helps my faith. So if I'm talking about it, it it's always a reminder for, for myself first and, first and foremost. And that's why I continue to do um, what I do, alhamdulillah. Uh, okay, I think we'll, we'll end there. Uh, I think that's a good place to end. I, I know, subhanAllah, we didn't do as much um, uh, interaction today and as much sharing, but, but I really wanted to, you know, SubhanAllah, we, I, I, I came, past, came upon the juz today. I'm like, Surah Ibrahim. I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna miss a chance to expose people. If you haven't heard this verse before, if you haven't reflected upon it, um, I don't know how long my life is. I don't know how long your life is. I, my goal is that every single person Here's this khutbah of Iblis um, before it's too late, right? That's one of my mission. Even with the deception seminar, I'm like, you know, people need to hear this uh, because it can really change change your life, right? And it, it changes my life every time I, I, I recite it, every time I reflect upon it. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept this humble effort from us and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to give us the tawfiq to act upon what we have learned. Allahumma ameen wallahu ta'ala ta'alam subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illa ant astaghfiruka wa tubulaik wa jazakumullahu khaira. Subhanallah for another very beneficial Quran reflect session. I will note since we are seven minutes past the hour, I am taking that off of the two hours that I, I just that, that stuck in my head. I, do, I hate being in debt to people, Sheikh. So we will we'll keep that score even, inshallah. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> Sounds good, inshallah. Um, Sheikh Saad will be back with us tomorrow for his next Quran reflection session. A couple of quick reminders as you guys are uh, closing off for today. One is that we have a new guest with us, Sheikh Tariq Muslif, is joining us tomorrow. Uh, covering the, res the resurrected man and I've heard some really really great things about him so I really hope that you guys take advantage and join us for that session you are going to have a guest host brother Abdurrahman is going to be coming back inshallah you guys loved and enjoyed his session uh, this past week so inshallah I'm going to take a break and uh, never heard of Abdurrahman or Sheikh Tariq Musa oh, no I'm joking 
<laughs> He's right there. No, alhamdulillah. Uh, we are going to be excited to have him back hosting with us for tomorrow's session. A couple of quick reminders as well. Um, one is that those who are asking for the deception link, we did uh, have that activated. Make sure it's ready for you guys. If, if someone does want to benefit, the, the topic of the story of the shaitan is beautiful. And Sheikh Saad did a really great deep dive and blew my mind with some of the things that we learned in that class. That's online slash deception. However, more time uh, constraint focused, uh, something that's closing tomorrow, as you guys heard from Sheikh Ammar earlier. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the focus, uh, about, about the, the topic of Salah and fixing your Salah, getting it to the point where you want it to be, uh, tackling all those lifelong struggles that you've had with it. So the Mindful Salah, of course, with Sheikh Ammar is closing tomorrow. He's been, mashallah, benefiting us so much with the reminders on Amagrib social media. And alhamdulillah, now you guys will get to do a deep dive into that topic. And as I mentioned earlier, we have gotten so much great feedback about people just jumping just easing into that course and benefiting so so much so make sure you take advantage of the opportunity to take it especially in the blessed month of ramadan that of course is at online. and finally i know a lot of you guys wanted to recite today and mashallah consistently we've had some amazing people who have been participating and being ready to do so so i hope those of you who are benefiting and who are excited about reciting the quran and, and sharing that with the community you do join us for the quran challenge we're doing a 10-day challenge with imam Wasam sharif one of our favorite quran reciters and teachers mashallah at Amagrib he is our uh, person to go to when it comes to fixing your tajweed and building a relationship with the Quran. Head over to quranrevolution.com slash challenge to benefit from that experience. We've already done a couple days. The challenge is completely underway. We're enjoying it so much with the community and you guys are going to love being part of that experience as well. Uh, so inshallah, we look forward to seeing you guys there at tomorrow at 2 p.m. EST is when the challenge is happening. All right. Jazakallah everyone for joining us for day number 12 of Ramadan 360. We kick off day number 13 tomorrow. Please take care. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. And for now, assalamu alaikum.